Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, December 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the University of Mississippi is one step closer to relocating the Confederate monument. We talk to the Associated Study body president. Body president. Plus, a special feature on the immigrant communities affected by the August ice raids. And Mississippi fourth graders have shown the greatest reading gains in the country, according to the National Assessment of Education Progress. We take a close look at some of the practices that may explain this rise. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. But first, before we begin, and if you're just joining us, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has just publicly announced two articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. They are abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The House Judiciary Committee will vote on sending the articles to the full House by the end of the week. The Mississippi Department of Archives and History has approved a motion from the University of Mississippi's Associated Student Body to relocate a Confederate monument. The statue currently resides in a prominent location outside the school's administrative buildings. The approved motion would move the statue to the Confederate Cemetery on campus. As president of the ASB, Baron Mayfield tells our Michael Guidry, the relocation is a sign the university community is progress-minded. When it came up for a vote in the ASB Senate. Um, I was a senator at the time, and I stood up and advocated for the legislation and then was proud to vote it and play a part in passing it. And how did that vote turn out? Um, It was a unanimous vote. Everybody voted for it. And I think that's because um, everybody saw it for what it was. It was a compromise. Um, You know, we're not removing the statue. We're relocating it to um, what I believe is a more historical, historically appropriate location. And what is that location? It's the Confederate Cemetery that's on campus. We're looking at getting that uh, monument moved from the circle in the heart of campus over to that cemetery. Why was it important to move and relocate uh, this monument from its current location to what you've said is a more historically appropriate location? So, as I said, the circle is the heart of campus. Um, that's who we are at Ole Miss. Everybody should be feel welcomed, um, should feel included at the university. And if you can't do that in the circle, then um, I think it's difficult to do it elsewhere on campus as well. Um, you know, I used to be um, an Ole Miss ambassador, so I got to give tours um, to prospective high school students. Um, and when the time came to walk down um, through the circle, I would take my groups and walk halfway through and then cut out and go around the statue. And I did that because my first few tours 
we'd walk by and people would stop and they'd ask about it and they would gawk and they would gasp and they would take pictures and not in some revering way, but in a way to convey how can, how could this be here? So you are now president of the ASB. What was your reaction this morning when you heard about the Department of Archives and History's decision to approve the relocation, considering that Circle has, has been designated an historic landmark? I, I, I was never worried about it. I never thought it was in question because, um, as the department said, it's a very technical procedural vote, um, seeing if the... Um, actual process for the relocation was um, up to appropriate standards, was done respectfully, was done appropriately. Um, and I think if you look at the plans released by the administration earlier this semester, you can see that they, they had done their homework. So I was never worried that it was the vote was going to fail. Um, I was very confident this morning. But it felt good nonetheless to see progress. This is another sort of symbolic gesture uh, and a series of, of gestures going over the last maybe 20 years with the students and the leadership at Ole Miss deciding to distance itself from some of those Confederate icons, the rebel flag, the playing of Dixie. What do you see going forward as people like you and the student body shape the perception of the University of Mississippi? So for one, I would I would note that I don't think that Ole Miss gets enough credit for being a leader in these conversations on the national scale. I mean, we are on the front lines of um, a lot of these conversations, a lot of these discussions, a lot of what's happening. Um, And I think a lot of the times um, we're in that position because of the history that we've had, um, but we get a bad rap for it. And so we're seen as um, a institution that's kind of behind the curve. We're um, not um, as progressive in a lot of ways that people see. Um, But I think that, um, you know, that's a matter of circumstance. And the fact that we're out there leading a lot of these conversations um, is a really important thing to note. Now, where that goes from here, um, I think that there is, I, I think it moves almost more to a conversation um, how does the university move forward from here? What are the next steps that we're going to take? We've gotten rid of a, a lot of these symbols, but how do we get rid of things that are not so symbolic? Um, and moving into more conversations about that. What do you mean by other things that aren't as symbolic? Well, you know, I, I, I think that our um, overall African-American um, enrollment, uh, it's not where the state demographics are. And I think having a conversation about that and how do we um, more effectively recruit um, African-American students to the university, um, I think you can have that same conversation across um, kind of multiple different issues. And um, going back to that, okay, so we've gotten rid of some of these symbols surrounding these issues. But how do we actually address the problems that our history has created for us? Are you worried about and are you prepared to respond to any organizations or groups that might protest uh, the decision that the student body has made? Yes, I, I look forward to whatever decision is made. We've got to have a, um, uh, a plan for um, the aftermath. Either way, you're going to have... Um, a group of people who's really pleased with the outcome and a group of people who's really upset 
um, with the outcome, and that's whether they vote um, to relocate it or vote to keep it in its current place. Um, there's going to be tensions on the uni- uh, within the university. I think that student safety is going to be my top priority. I'm advocating the, uh, to the administration um, to make that the um, priority in the days and weeks after this. And we've already had some conversations about that, and I know that they will prioritize that as well. Um, But I do think that um, we've got to be ready for whatever is going to happen. Baron Mayfield is the president of the ASB at the University of Mississippi. Former students are also weighing in on the relocation. Jamonda Roy is a University of Mississippi alumna. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood that the statue's present makes members of her community feel unwelcome. Being that young, first of all, I really did not know the history of the statue, but I knew it was something that did not resonate with um, my culture. Um, as a black person, um, I knew that there was something behind that statue that did not represent me. It was a monument that did not make me feel welcome to the university. Um, and so that's something that I grappled with as a freshman, just understanding the history behind it, but also understanding how and why a university who um, was so adamant about um, diversity, I guess you could say, and bringing in black students would still allow such a monument um, at that time. Talk about the importance, in your opinion, you know, what's the importance of symbols on um, college campuses today? It's very important to, first of all, the black students that are attending the University of Mississippi because representation is everything. And if it's something that makes you feel out of place, then that's something that you have to question as a student. And and I think that the students who have spoken up about it have done a great have done a great job this over the past year, students such as Leah Davies and Arielle Hudson, Jarvis Benson, many other students who have voiced their opinion about it. Because if you if such a symbol or a statue makes you feel um, uncertain or unwelcome or any type of way, you should definitely address that issue. I just think that the students and faculty and staff have done a phenomenal job this year with voicing their concerns regarding racial tension and, and, and many issues around campus this year. Um, as a freshman coming in in 2012, there are many things that I think that I thought would never happen on this campus, and they have slowly come into fruition. And I can honestly say that um, as a black student at this university, I have seen change and I have seen growth, and I'm proud of that. And I just hope that the university continues to move forward. But this is just a start, and so I hope that they move in the right direction. Jamonda Roy is an alumna of the University of Mississippi. Coming up, a special feature on the immigrant communities affected by the August ice raids. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey there, it's Joshua Johnson from 1A. People have lots of stories about their cars. That long summer road trip, the first hand-me-down, the first car you bought on your own. But cars can generate other kinds of stories, like the stories you hear on this station. You can donate your old car. Here's how. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi communities are pooling resources to help undocumented immigrants cope with the fallout from the ICE raids earlier this year. MPB's Desiree Fraser visits one community to see how they're managing relief efforts. About 20 children are playing with Legos and coloring while their parents wait to see a caseworker in a large meeting hall at Morton United Methodist Church in Scott County. Just go ahead and sit. And they'll pull the file for you. Every other Monday, undocumented immigrants come here to have their rent and utilities paid. We're only on number 32. There are several hundred undocumented immigrants in this community who need assistance. After the August 7th raid of seven poultry plants in Mississippi, more than 600 immigration and custom enforcement agents arrested nearly 700 people, the largest raid in U.S. history. More than 300 were released, then fired from their jobs. Sad, alone. 42-year-old Nami, a native of Mexico, feels sad and lonely. She came to Mississippi 11 years ago. Nami says both she and her husband worked at the coke plant, but on different shifts. He was arrested for using a fake ID. Nami wasn't there at the time, but was fired. She cries about their 5-year-old son, who she says is an American citizen. Luis Espinosa with Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance translates. Ramiro. 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 Ramiro, the kid, he suffered too much, and even he don't want to eat. He's still very sad every day, asking for the father. Nami says she has two other children and parents in Mexico who depended on the money she sent them. She says she left because of the poverty. Her case is really difficult because... Um, the first husband has been killed because of violence up there. That's why she decided to come here so she can uh, send money to the other sons. Youth and Children's Ministry leader Jamie Beatty says with the help of other churches, they operate a food pantry. She says they provided food for nearly 500 children and more than 200 families. Beatty says they paid bills for about 100 people. These are real people. I'm sitting here looking out at a room of over 50 people who have been deeply impacted. Their lives have been changed, not just temporarily, but forever. Luis Espinosa with Mira says most of the undocumented immigrants have loved ones who remain in federal custody, like Nami's husband, who is housed in Louisiana. Others here are out on bond. Everyone detained must appear before a federal and an immigration judge for hearings. Espinosa says many don't have a court date for an immigration hearing, which could take months. At the same time, they feel it has been treated like a criminals. At the same time, they have the hope they can stay here because they have uh, kids born here. Laura Lee, a native of Mexico, has been in Mississippi seven years. She met her husband, who's from Guatemala, in Morton. They both worked at the pH food processing plant here. Her husband was arrested. She worked a different shift and was fired. The couple have two children, three and six, both American citizens. Laura Lee isn't looking forward to the holidays. Luis Espinosa translates. Yeah, she feels very bad, uh, especially in this time of the year because it's uh, Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And the kids, they think the, the father is coming 
with gifts. Dorothy Balzer of Catholic Charities says they received more than $500,000 from a Mississippi Immigration Coalition and other private donors for relief efforts. She says she distributes funds to five churches and communities near the rated poultry plants to assist families. But how long can this continue? She expects the funds to dwindle by January. And that's a question that I'm starting to hear from the faith leaders as well. How can we continue to help? They're starting to worry. We're looking at that question now. We really don't know how to prepare families for the future. But while ministries focus on the human toll of the raids on families, U.S. Attorney Mike Hurst in the Southern District of Mississippi is focused on the crimes committed. He says they've indicted 119 undocumented immigrants for crimes that range from identity theft and falsifying documents to returning to the U.S. multiple times illegally. Hearst says the U.S. Department of Homeland Security found the identities of more than 400 Americans were stolen. This has direct adverse impacts on American citizens in the form of when your identity is stolen, you can't get credit. You can't get a loan. You can't get health insurance. You can't get Social Security benefits. So far, no employers have been charged as a result of the raids. Hearst says they are investigating the poultry plant owners, but it takes time. The United States Attorney's Office has prosecuted many employers, many owners, many companies for specifically immigration, criminal immigration violations. And those cases have many times taken months, two years to bring to fruition. In the meantime, churches like this one in Morton says they'll work to help families left in limbo by the raids as long as they can. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, Mississippi fourth graders have shown the greatest reading gains in the country, according to the National Assessment of Education Progress. We take a close look at some of the practices that may explain this rise. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Fourth grade students in Mississippi have outgained their national peers in reading, according to the latest National Assessment of Education Progress. Emily Hanford is an education reporter for American Public Media who has looked closely at the science of reading and how that science is being implemented in classrooms across the country. She talks with us about how Mississippi is utilizing this research and how it may account for those gains in reading. So there is a big body of evidence that comes from a whole bunch of different fields that over the past 40 years has given us a really good picture. And what I have found as a reporter is that that scientific research base is not making its way into a lot of schools and is not being taught to many teachers when they're prepared to teach reading. There's a formula that you have talked about. What is that? So it's a model that was first proposed in 1986. Uh, by a couple of researchers who were trying to understand the role of decoding in reading comprehension. So the simple view of reading, which has been backed up by loads of research since, and it shows that reading comprehension is the product, not the sum, it's the product of your decoding ability and your language comprehension. So basically there's two parts to sort of being able to understand what you read. There's your ability to know what those 
printed words are, to be able to recognize the words. And the other is your language comprehension, which doesn't actually have anything to do with your ability to read written text. It's just if someone was speaking to you or reading out loud to you, would you understand what they were saying? So your reading comprehension is basically a product of your ability to figure out what those words on the page say, times all the words you know the meaning of and all the stuff you know. And if you put those two things together, you get your reading comprehension. And what you can see because it's a product is if you have no decoding skills, you're not going to have any reading comprehension because zero times anything is zero. If you have no language comprehension or very little, you're also not going to have very good reading comprehension. So you can be really good at decoding words, but you don't know the meaning of lots of words and you don't have a lot of knowledge, you don't know a lot of stuff your reading comprehension is going to suffer also. The latest report from the National Assessment Educational Progress shows fourth grade readers in Mississippi are now on par with the rest of the country, which is very significant for this state because there has certainly been a lagging behind. Does the scientific method, does that affect these scores from Mississippi kids? Well, the first thing to say that's really important is NAEP scores that you're referring to. It's not possible to say what causes changes in NAEP scores. There's too many things going on uh, to be able to say for sure. But I've been in Mississippi now a couple of times to document the work that your state is doing that I, as far as I know, no other state is doing the kind of work that Mississippi is doing on trying to bring the scientific research on reading into schools, trying to train teachers and help them understand what the scientific research says and how their instruction change to align more with the science. And something else that Mississippi is doing that is really big is they're working with actually with college professors, people who teach teachers how to teach reading. They're actually helping these people understand the scientific research on reading. When they learn the scientifics of teaching reading, what will change in their instruction? Well, it, it, it's certainly true that just teaching teachers the science isn't enough. And this is where Mississippi is doing some really incredible stuff because the state has figured that out. So one of the things that you guys are investing in is coaching and having uh, coaches go in and really work with teachers to try to think about what does the scientific research say about how I should be changing my instruction. Now, scientific, if, if you want, if you go into a classroom and, and you look around, some things that you want to see is you want an early emphasis on phonemic awareness, really understanding how sounds in words work, and phonics instruction. But you also, if you go to the simple view of reading, recognize that you can't focus just on phonics. You've got to focus on that language comprehension side of things. This is especially important because language comprehension often is associated with family income or educational background. So if you are teaching reading in a way that lines up with the science and that is really trying to make things equitable, uh, you really want to bring kids' language comprehension through reading aloud, doing explicit instruction and vocabulary, and teaching the kids stuff. So you want to see in an early classroom an emphasis on both parts of that equation, the decoding, the understanding how the written language works, and the language comprehension part of it. Emily Hemford is an education reporter for American Public Media. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. 
Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.